0: Welcome to West Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westgwassettchapel.com. Good morning. Romans chapter 12 is where we are going to be this morning, page 804 in your church Bibles. We're just finishing up Romans 12, verse 17 is where we'll begin to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. This is the word of God, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know how anybody could read that and be confident in their own personal righteousness. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is very simple. One, have mercy on me, a sinner. Two, help me, help us, As your word is preached, for Jesus' sake, amen. Because of our deep mistrust of God's goodness in God's word, by nature, we do everything we can to get out from under his hand. This is, if you really, really think about it, the most fundamental temptation that that there has ever been in the world, and it's the root of original sin. So the details of our mistrust of God they may vary, but the the deep song of our fallen flesh is I have to look out for myself. I know best what's I know best for me. So when it comes to relationships, sometimes they can be viewed as kind of like a business transaction, and you have like a cost benefit analysis. And you apply the wisdom of the marketplace to your relationships. And whatever that song in our heart is, the melody is on every human being's playlist, whether it's person in Christ or outside of Christ. And so we all have to deal with these verses on some level. And I say that because I don't think the true nature of our hearts are revealed ever so clearly than in these final verses of Romans 12. Because they say, fundamentally, treat the person who has done evil to us, treat them with grace. If you like the same grace that God gave you, you extend to those who do evil to you. Now, That's not the same thing as calling evil good. Evil is not good. Evil is never good. Or saying, you know, that the evil done to us doesn't really matter. Of course it does. It's evil. But if extending grace, the kind of grace which is being called for here in these verses, if if extending grace depends on the other person deserving it, earning it, well, then it's no longer grace. So in one sense, a real mark of wisdom in the Christian life is to be ready for these moments when, when someone treats us terribly evil. I mean, I, I want to say to every kid in here, I'm sorry that that's true, that there's going to be moments that come when you will treat someone evil or someone will treat you evil. I'm sorry I have to say that, but it's true. However, the beauty of that is that when the enemies come, no matter what they come like, it can drive you toward a greater love for God, a greater need for his strength. When the evil comes, it can just drive you to a greater sense of your own weakness and a greater sense of how glorious the gospel really is. So so when evil comes, instead of it driving us away from those who have done evil to us, it can actually drive us to them, and therefore to God. You see, when we are moved by the mercies of God, and when our minds have been renewed to grasp what his will truly is, every relationship that we have will be transformed. Transformed transform not just like in any way, but in a very specific way. Okay, what way? Well, if your Bible's open, do you see it in verses 14, 15, 17, 19, and on? Four resounding negative imperatives, and, and the way that we are not to treat evil people, verse 14, do not curse them, Now, why does that happen? Why do we have to hear that? Because we know we can curse evil people, and we know we have cursed evil people. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, verse 17. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Again, why do we have to hear that? Because we know we can, and we know we have taken revenge. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. Now, all those imperatives, the four imperatives, say the same thing, okay, different words, but in essence, this is what they say. Retaliation and revenge are absolutely forbidden to the followers of Jesus Christ, okay? Retaliation and revenge is absolutely forbidden to the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus never did such a thing in his earthly ministry, either in word or in deed, or if you could, in emotion. And in spite of our our inborn, revengeful tendencies, whether it's a child, you know, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back, or the more sophisticated adult, you know, we're going to get even with our opponent. We're going to have this comprehensive and very complicated, patiently, timingly uh, scheme to get even. Whatever it is, Jesus says, you imitate me. You imitate me. So if you have a look down in your Bible, there's a place for evildoers to be dealt with in the court of laws when they cross the laws of the land. That's Romans 13. It's interesting that that comes right after this. But in personal conduct, when the laws of the land have not been crossed, we are never to seek revenge, never to injure those who have injured us. Non-retaliation, in relationships was, was the, you know, it used to be an endearing feature of the Christian ethic because that is driven in the teachings of Jesus himself. And so this is my thought, maybe, just maybe, we're kind of at a time and place in history, at least in the States, similar to when Jesus said, you've heard it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy He said that because that was the teaching going around. Can you imagine that? But it was. Love your enemy or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then he has to say, let me correct you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Spending some time getting ready for Romans 13, I came across this article, very helpful. And part of it said this. Many of the leaders that I work with in the church are non-Western Christians. And the one question that I've heard over the past three years from these brothers and sisters is, have U.S. evangelicals lost their minds? And so, I've said it before, and I've said it, often maturity then as a Christian is not becoming independent, but becoming and recognizing how deeply we are dependent on the grace of God, that God is unchanging in his forgiveness, unchanging in his grace, and the fact that we are continually forgiven, that all just, that'll just blow our minds, because we ought to be willing to admit that these verses are impossible to us, They are impossible to us if what? If Jesus Christ did not go on a cross and bleed and die for who? Who did Jesus die for? His enemies. His enemies. So yes, Jesus promised us power, power to live the Christian life, and indeed, in that context, to to love our enemies. However, the roots of that power, now please pay attention, What gives us the capacity to obey every time, every time? There is no human energy that can help us obey here. We need power outside of us to come into us. So that power, every time, takes us always back to the cross. Again, on the cross where Jesus Christ was what? He was loving his enemies to his death. On the cross where Jesus did not seek revenge, rather he was extending forgiveness... And he was dying for his enemies. So if Jesus did not love his enemies, okay, people like you and I before our conversion, then there would be no hope for any of us to obey these verses that we have read. So let me just say it like this. This is impossible. Verses 17 to 21 is impossible to perform if the very action... We are called to perform was not already performed by Christ towards you and I who were once his enemies because of our sins. Listen to your Bible. This is Colossians 1, 21 and 22. It's it's the common English translation, I think. You were his enemies and hated him and were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he, God, has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through, just, okay, he has done this through what? The death on the cross of his own body, and now as a result of Christ, he has brought you, Christ has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are standing there before God with nothing left against you, nothing left that he could ever chide you for. Romans 5.10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, okay? If when we were at our very worst, when we were were hating God, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, and now we're at our best with him. You have to ask yourself this question, Christian. This is just for the Christians. What reason, as a follower of Christ, have we to fear the wrath of God? Okay, okay. Why, why is there no reason for us to ever fear God's wrath or to ever think of God as our enemy? There's only one. Christ died for the sins of his enemies. That's it. Albert Einstein, I'm going to quote from him. He said, a ship was always safe at the shore, but that's not what it was built for, right? Not at shore, out there. It's the same principle for Christian life. So yeah, if you could say it in a sense, in here, our lives are safe, and we thank God in the context, it's usually safe. But we were made for more than just this. Therefore, we have to go and we have to tell and we have to live. And then when you go and tell and live, you put yourself on the altar of potential pain and potential suffering and death, even death at the hands of evil people. So, if you think about it, if you really think about it, these verses are divine righteousness. That's what they are. This is so much, if you would, in a nutshell, the life of Jesus Christ. So, when I, when I read these verses, immediately, this is what I thought. I see the story of the cross all over them. I see God's Son, a good man, a good, perfect man, right? He, he is what it means to be truly human, Not repaying, do you see this in your Bible, verse 17a? Not repaying evil with evil. I see a man, Jesus Christ, doing verse 17b what is right. I see a man, verse 18, who's doing his best to live at peace with everyone. I mean, he's making peace with God and humans even possible in the way that he dies for his enemies. Verse 19, I see a man who by rights could justifiably condemn the world and take his revenge, but on the cross, he dies for the world. Verse 20, I see a man feeding his enemies, giving meat and drink. I see a man willing to break bread for his enemies. I mean, it happens every day in common grace. Every day, God feeds the world. I see a man, verse 21, not overcome by evil, but he overcomes evil with good. In fact, the cross is the greatest good that there'll ever be. And you see, the funny thing is, is I see him doing all that when we were his what? When we were his enemies. So in my personal life, I've given God countless reasons not to love me, But none of those reasons are strong enough to change him because they've been dealt with on the cross where the Son of God dies for his enemies. So you see, what what makes these final verses so necessary? That in God's mercy, his saving, healing, restorative mercy... uh, his original plan for creation has not been completed. So so God just does not want to make things kind of better, right? He doesn't want to just, you know, section off a portion of the earth and like all my people can be there and we'll all be happy. No, there's going to be a day in the new heaven and the new earth where every one of God's t- intentions in the world will take place. So... There's going to be a life in the new heaven and the new earth, not only teeming with possibility, but there'll never be anger and hatred and scorn and malice again. So when you think about these verses that we're prepared to just try to dissect them, Amy Amy Carmichael said this, She said, so often it doesn't help us to think about ourselves alone and our feelings alone and our rights alone because because we tend to think too much of ourselves. And thinking too much of ourselves is really not to think enough at all. Two points. The principle Paul lays down and then the practice Paul puts forward. The principle is pretty simple, isn't it? Verse 21, if you had to put this in a nutshell, overcome evil with good. That's, that's everything in summary. Overcome evil with good. Now, the word overcome in verse 21, it's, it's a military word. It's kind of funny, isn't it, that you would put that in something like this? But anyway, it means to Overpower to subdue, to prevail over evil, overcome, prevail, subdue evil with good. And what this is, it's extremely, I think it's penetrating insight into the true mind of God. I mean, God's not a moralist, okay? He's far beyond that. So through Paul's pen, God says that to repay evil with evil is immediately to lose the battle with evil. If you repay evil with evil, and even all the you know, the intricate ways that we might be tempted to do that, you will not overcome evil. You will be overcome by evil. So the only way to defeat evil is by doing good to the one who has done you harm. Okay, in other words, if you hate a person who has wronged you, and if you would, you'll let it fester inside. Remember that quote from our kids? Let it fester inside, then evil wins. The only way that a human being can defeat evil is to forgive and love the person who has done the evil to them. Another way to think about it is this. If we identify evil itself too closely with the evildoer, Okay, thinking by destroying evil, okay, we're get, we destroy evil by destroying in some way the evildoers, you know, so we can, we can spread the word about them, we can defame their reputation, we can avoid them. You know, I never want to see them again or, or you know, manipulate our feelings so that we have all this hatred towards them. No one will ever know, but we do that. At that point, we become a pawn of the evil force, the world, the flesh, the devil. We become a f- pawn of that that is actually the thing that is fueling the evildoer. And in that, we, we ignorantly fall in line with evil. In fact, the evil that is behind the evildoer. Now, those of you who've ever read any of the books or watched the Lord of the Ring movie series, we we would know exactly what this means. Remember the ring of evil, the evil Lord Sauron. And even a good person, if a good person uses the ring of evil Lord to either put down the evil Lord or to try to deal with evil, if they use that evil ring, then they become evil in the process. Okay? Using evil to destroy evil, it didn't and doesn't work. Now, we say that and and we get that, but do we? You see, when we will not, verse 14, when we will not bless... Our enemies and forgive our enemies and pray for our enemies and do good, some meaningful good to those who have done some meaningful evil to us, or even in our inaction, right? We're just not going to have anything to do with them. Even in our action and our avoidance, that is in itself evil. So, this is the first time I'm ever going to quote an elfin king in a sermon, but this is what he says Such is the nature of evil. Out there in the vast ignorance of the world, it festers and it spreads. A shadow that grows in the dark. A sleepless malice as black as the oncoming wall of night. So it ever was. So it always be. In time, all foul things come forward. Unless it's dealt with by the power of the cross. Can I give you a little more? Star Wars, right? I mean, this is a common theme. Uh, Darth Sidious, this is, a, this is a line from the movie. Darth Sidious to Anakin, are you going to kill me? Does that sound like him? Probably not. Anakin, I would certainly like to. Darth Sidious, I know you would. I can feel your anger. It gives you focus. Remember that? It gives you focus, makes you stronger. Liar, anger and hate in the Star Wars series is like food for the for the Sith. This is Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. Release your anger. Only your hate can destroy me. Sorry, Darth Sidious, the Luke Skywalker. Good. Your hate has made you powerful. Let the hate flow through you. Strike me down with all your hatred. Remember what he does? He actually, Luke, is about ready to strike him down. He's ready to kill him. He's ready to give in to all that hate. You see, all of those ploys, and thank you for just going through that with me, all of the ploys to use evil, to overcome evil, no matter how complicated or intricate or self-justifying they are, they cannot win. Evil will win. However, to use then evil, to defeat evil is impossible. I mean, I was telling someone this this morning and they affirmed this. Do you think that's why children sometimes they really cry in some kind of fit of rage after they have done something bad to someone or they know they've hurt someone and they're so frustrated and they're so upset they just start bawling and crying? I think that's why they know, they just learned a lesson that evil does not defeat, that evil does not defeat evil and they just did something evil in the retaliation and revenge that is why we are told here to respond to evil with good to respond with evil with love and grace verse 21 overcome evil with good now our intention then is to see evil as evil to see evil as something different and distinct from the person who's doing the evil to us. And we understand that. That's not to say that they're not evil. I mean, okay. But our basic goal is essentially atonement. Atonement. We redeem them by our forgiveness. We want to atone for their sins. We want to forgive and love them and show kindness to the evildoer. When we do that, two results are possible. One, the, the, the spread of evil in us is, is just checked down. The hatred and pride of evil, it, it's just, it cannot infect us now. It's been dealt with. And two, the spread of evil may be checked down in the evildoer. I mean, it may soften their heart. Our love might be the very thing that, they, that, that helps them, if you would, turn, repent. Verse 20 Paul says that our good deeds and words, do you see it there, would, verse 20, heap burning coals on their head, which is, a, which is a way of saying that it's possible now that repentance may incur, occur. So that's, that, that phrase there is not like, yeah, let them burn. No, it's like, let them turn, not burn, let them turn, let them repent. The hostile person may be led to repentance and remorse. They're either embarrassed or alarmed or just self-rebuked by what they did to us. And when we give love and grace towards them, that is not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. You've heard me use this before, but it it came to my mind last night. It's beautiful. Uh, The movie Les Mis, I can't give the full title because I can't pronounce it this morning. Sorry. But you know the movie. And there's a classic scene when the Monsignor, who had uh, a bunch of silver stolen by uh, Jean Van and he left, and he ran away. The police captured Jean, and he's taking him back to the Monsignor. And, and here's a scene. The police come, and they have uh, Jean in, in their arms, and there's a big bag of silver. And immediately, the Monsignor, a pastor, if you would, I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. And then the official, what happened to your eye? Because there's like a little red spot in the, in the preacher's eye because he was popped by Jean Valjean. And then the pastor says, didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack, found all the silver, he claimed that he gave, you gave it to him. And then his reply, yes, of course I gave him the silverware, but why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Sheila, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry, Jean Valjean, hurry. You've lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? And the official's like, are you kidding me? Is this really happening? This guy's guilty. And then he says, are you saying he told us the truth? Then the Monsignor, of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him release him. Then Jean Valjean says, you're really letting me go? Official says, didn't you understand the bishop, right? And then the bishop, the monsignor, the pastor says, as he's looking at Jean Valjean, square in the eye, don't forget. Don't ever forget you have promised to become a new man. And then Jean Valjean says, promise, why are you doing this? He knows he's guilty. He's like, why are you doing this? And then the classic scene where the Monsignor is eyeball to eyeball with Jean Valjean and some other scenes, and he's holding him by his shoulders. My brother, you are no longer belonging to evil. With this silver, I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. And his whole life is turned from someone that was really horrible and bitter, to someone who became very wonderful and life-affirming. Radical forgiveness, radical love, causes people to feel the shame of what they've done, not to hurt them, but to help them. The Bible, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Radical forgiveness reminds people, reminds us, and the extension of that forgiveness, that we have a soul, that we have a soul. And I just want to say this, if you're like a moralist, you're going to have so much trouble with this She's going to have so much trouble because you're just going to do the whole, you know, this and put it on the scales. And, just, and then when it's balanced for you, then you'll extend forgiveness and forgive and love. But if it's out of balance, you're just not going to give a thing. The gospel puts everything in balance for the Christian. That's number one. The principle Paul lays down um, do not be overcome, don't be overpowered by evil, but you overpower evil with good. Can I just say, like, gospel good? second point, final point, the, the, the practice Paul puts forward. It's pretty simple. Verse 18, you see it there? Don't avoid the hostile person. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's common that when someone has wronged us, we, we just want to avoid them. You know, we see them in the store or something in our heart, our mind just goes. Uh, you, you self-justify. I'm not going to pay them back, and I forgive them, but I don't want to see them anymore. I never want to see them again, but our avoidance could very well be a form of payback. You know, I'm going to not give them the pleasure of seeing me. And and in that, to avoid the person does not overcome the evil with good. It's just to overcome evil, if you would, with sophisticated evil, which is not overcoming evil at all. Now Now, we know that sometimes verse 18 tells us that sometimes people are not willing to live at peace with us. Or sometimes they may lay down a condition that's you know, unbiblical and we just, we just can't do it. However, we will never know unless we try. We will never know unless we obey, go, and try. If it's possible do you see it there, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. What a beautiful phrase, live at peace with everyone, including the one who has done evil to us. Okay, verse 18, here's a practical Implications, do not avoid the hostile person. Um, Verse 19, or verse 14, excuse me, and verse 20, you express meaningful words, loving words, and actions to the people who do evil to us. Verse 14, bless. Okay, blessed, meaningful, loving words, true story. I had to write a love, a letter. I was going to say a love letter. It was a love letter. I had to write a letter to someone who kind of hurt me and I had to sit down and, you know, I wanted to be like real rigid, like that, like, no, not going to do that. And I put down some lovely, beautiful phrases for that person by the help of my God. Meaningful, loving words. How does God speak to you because of Jesus? We speak to others, even our enemies, that same way. Verse 20, here's another meaningful act. Feed and water your enemies. I mean, first of all, it's God's food and water, right? We all would agree. (laughs) What does he want you to do with your feed and water? Well, he wants you to enjoy it. But he wants you to give it to your enemies. Feed them, water them. To speak kindly to act politely, to be generous, honestly, hardened, loving to those who are hostile to us. Now, again, because we're so silly sometimes, sometimes we can do all those things, but we just kind of do those things because we want to rub the person's nose in it, <laughs> right? See how good I am. Don't you feel terrible? I mean that happened to Jesus. Jesus was invited to lots of homes and come on and eat our food and drink our wine, but I don't want to be friends. In fact, I'm using this occasion to expose you in some way, Jesus. So you sit down, we'll watch you and and you know, let it roll. That is not the motive that Jesus calls for. What Jesus says is you think about your enemy in love. You find ways to to wish that person well. Do helpful things, do respectful things and polite things to them. You know what I wrote down in my notes three times? Manners, manners, manners. Manners, manners, manners. This is Emily Post. She, she's like an expert. She says, manners are a sensitive awareness of the feelings of others. If you have that awareness, you have good manners no matter what fork you use, <laughs> Third, to forgive and waive any re- repayment. That's a practical application. Verse 19, do not take revenge. You be you and let God be God. Okay, so as you think about forgiveness and waiving any repayment, waiving any vengeful uh, attitudes or actions that tell you you want some payback, no, you be you and you let God be God. Because the gospel puts any of that motive away from us. Because if God decided at this moment to square all our accounts with him, where would you be? Where would I be apart from Christ? Christ who died for his enemies. So the model, again, is the gospel. Christ died for us while we were his enemies. And we have all these amazing blessings in light of that. So on the human-to-human level, we do the same thing. That's the pattern. That's the standard. That's where God's power moves toward. That's why Paul says, verse 19, this is, this is powerful. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And what he's reminding us is that essentially the role of judge only belongs to God. The, 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 the vengeance, that's God. If, if it's playing God when we try to do those things when only God is the one qualified to judge and qualified to make a vengeful right judgment. I mean, we are, we're imperfect. We deserve judgment ourselves. And only God knows enough to judge every person on this planet accurately. We don't know all about the offender at all. We know some things, but we don't know everything. And that's why we're not qualified to make judgments. And by the way, Jesus took our judgment on the cross. So when we do verses 19 and 20, two things are possible. There's a possibility that one day that person will repent. And Jesus will take their judgment away that's what we'd like or they will not repent and God will deal with it because he's the only one that can so in this whole vengeance and retaliation we have no authority the only authority that we have is the authority to do good and nothing more so when it comes to judgment and vengeance and wrath the, the gospel makes this clear Again, if God wanted to square all accounts with us, where would we be without Jesus Christ, the one who dies for his enemies, the one who died for people like me and you? I need to get done. But think about bitterness. Because the potential for bitterness is just oozing out of these verses. So dangerous. Bitterness is a feeling, an intense feeling that we've been wrong and we will not let it go. Go. And so we rehearse it in our minds. The Bible says, don't do that. Put away wrath and rage and brawling. No, No evil speaking. No malice. And malice is what? The desire to hurt someone. And again, we might not hurt them with our hands, but we can hurt them in our minds. And we sit in the position that we're not qualified to sit in. And Jesus said it perfectly. It's so simple. You without sin cast the first stone. The bitter person has a bag full of stones. The bitter person is the opposite of the humble person. And God gives grace to the humble. The bitter person is a person who has a form of moral superiority. And they cannot see their own lostness. And they cannot see, at least at that time, their need for grace. The Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus do? Our ability to repent and our ability to forgive, they go hand in hand. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To the degree we forgive others will be the same degree that we repent to God. And the bitter person cannot say, Help me to forgive others. Repenting and forgiving stem from the awareness of the sinfulness and the condemnation and the punishment it deserves, apart from the mercy of God in Christ who took our punishment. Let me just read this quote from Lewis Smeads. Resentment is bittersweet. If we do not cherish it, we would let it go. What sort of rewards do we get from our resentment?" Why do we keep score? Well, first, it makes us feel superior to the person we present. Also, it gives us an excuse for indulging exquisite plots for revenge, such as hurting the person by withholding our ultimate treasure, our personal friendship. We even chew the the cut of past wrongs to enjoy the feeling of hurt that the memories kindle. There's a sense in which we remember past wounds to hurt ourselves. Why? Well, we feel noble and worthy as a decent person who was wrongly hurt. Resentment served a double purpose. They give us treasure pain and they give us a chance to justify ourselves. So we get two rewards, pleasure and religious pain, but we do in fact also hate resentment because it depresses us. It robs us of gratitude. And as Hebrews chapter 15 excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, it sneaks into our relationship. This is what it says. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter roots grows up to cause trouble and defile many, many. So it's not, your bitterness is not just about you, but it can defile many. Bitterness is, And the life of a church and in the life of a believer is like poison, and it works through the body. Now, I'm done, but let me just say it like this. No wonder the forces of evil hate and oppose the gospel. There's a reason why self-righteous people are so angry, so angry with the gospel, so angry with gospel preaching and pretty much so angry at the world because the gospel does not spare those who will not submit to the righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that? The gospel will not spare those who do not submit to the righteousness of Christ. The gospel will not spare those who cannot admit that apart from His righteousness, Not only do they have no hope, they really have no rights. The cross of Jesus Christ is the highest good, the purest good that has ever taken place in this world. And that cross, that gospel, that is the medicine that we lovingly get And give to those who have harmed us by evil words, evil thoughts, evil schemes, and evil judgments. And our only hope to conquer this is Jesus Christ. A quote from John Bunyan, and we're done. They they railed on Jesus, degraded him, called him a devil. They said he was mad, a deceiver, a blasphemer, and a rebel. A disciple sold them out. One denied him, and they all forsook him. They beat him with fists, spat on on him, mocked him, crowned him with thorns, scourged him, and hung him on a tree. Yet all this could not take his heart off of him, them, and the work of our redemption. To die, he came, and die, he did for our sins, that we might live, verses 17 to 21, that we might live through Him. Oh, what infinite love. Let's pray. We are sorry, Father. for the ways that we've broken every one of these verses, externally, internally. Forgive us. Remind us that we have a new heart. Remind us that we have the right spirit, the Holy Spirit. Remind us that we have a new way of living. We have new tongue and new manners, new words, new depth that we've never had before. We can we can take more, not because we're stronger, but now we're weaker, which is safe. Help us to be more like Jesus, more light, more salt. If you test us these, this week in these things, or in the future, please give us more victories. To the praise of your glory and for the good of humanity. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by the sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquessatchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in his church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.